Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe discuss the recent performance of the equity markets, the latest employment report, and the link between jobs and consumer spending. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wilhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Wilhelms. With me are familiar voices in Mike Steppe and Adam Longley, both senior vice presidents with Nicolay Wealth Management and Nicolay Bank. Adam and Mike, thank you for being here today. Hello. I am looking forward to a lot of content in this conversation. Things continue to be interesting in uh, the economy and uh, and financial markets. Mike, will you kick us off with an economic update? Sure. We've seen a lot of volatility in the financial markets. Over the course of the last month, we're sort of on a roller coaster when it comes to the equity markets. Year to date, the S&P returns have been bouncing in the negative 15 to negative 23%. Right now, we're at down 17.8%. On the fixed income side, we've seen similar amount of volatility, which you don't normally see. A month ago, uh, five-year treasuries were trading at at 3%. They went up to 359 by the middle of June, down to 281 by the beginning of July. And today they stand at 313. So we've had sort of this volatility. And what's driving that is worry that people have about the future level of economic activity. So there's just a high level of uncertainty, higher than usual. And so investor attitudes keep shifting. When they see a couple of positive numbers, um, they think more inflation, greater economic activity, higher, higher growth in the economy, but more inflation. When they see a couple of weak numbers, they think recession. And so we're at that point where we're, we're, we've seen a lot of change in the markets. We've gone through a pandemic. We've gone through this inflation scare. We're now at this point where everybody's worrying and panicking about what level of economic activity there's going to be. And so we're at that point where people are probably overreacting to all the news. So we get these exaggerated moves. And that tends to happen. It's normal part of the investing cycle. Well, Mike, I'm going to have you paint the Goldilocks uh, situation right now, because what I heard is if we see economic activity strong, we think inflation, which doesn't feel so good because the Fed intervenes. We We see low economic activity and we think recession, which obviously doesn't seem so good. So what is the path forward that is, we'll say, reason for optimism? Well, I think we just keep grinding through this and we keep companies keep making money. They keep doing what they've been able. Companies have been amazingly resilient when you think of all the things that have been thrown at them and you continue to see decent performance. And so when you look at it this morning, you saw a strong jobs report and that's telling you companies are hiring people because they're putting them to work doing stuff. The non-farm payrolls was up 372,000 when it was expected to be up 265,000. 
Now, some of that were revisions to the two previous months, but we still had a good jobs number. And that's the kind of thing that sort of paints a positive picture in here. I like that. Adam, why don't we come over to you for a little more detail on the uh, equity markets? Can you give us an update on that? Yeah, the markets continue to adjust higher than expected inflation and then the the subsequent uh, faster pace of tightening and and higher interest rates. And talk about that causes the valuation multiples on on stocks to contract. Um, They're now at a point where they're back to their long-term averages. But if you're looking, let's look at the the second quarter, which just ended. The S&P 500 uh, was down about 16%. Mid caps and, and small caps in the U.S. Uh, were down a little bit less, so they they did a little bit better, uh, which is kind of what we expected. Um, those those companies are, you know, able to deal with inflation uh, often uh, better. International international developed companies were down fourteen, and then emerging markets was was best at at only down eleven. A lot of that was from China. Uh, we've seen that equity market rebound. And the government has begun to stimulate that economy versus the rest of the world, which is trying to, to slow down growth. Um, you know, back to the U.S., the S&P 500, all 11 sectors generated a negative return in the second quarter. Worst was consumer discretionary spending sector. That was down 26. A lot of that was driven by um, large company. Amazon was down 35. You know, Home Depot was down 27 percent. Technology stocks were the second worst. They were down 21%. Um, And then more defensive sectors did the best. Uh, Consumer staples, utilities, both were down about 5%. There were a couple stocks that did generate positive returns. Companies like Lilly, Merck, uh, Big Pharma, AT&T, IBM. Um, Again, more defensive companies. So basically what, what did best was companies with kind of a lower equity beta, higher dividend yields, lower valuation multiples to start with, uh, hung in there the best. Um, and then on the fixed income side, investment grade bonds were down uh, almost 5%. Corporates did the worst as spreads, uh, credit risk spreads widen, uh, driven by fears of a recession. So you put that together, look at a 60-40 portfolio, uh, 60% stocks, 40% uh, fixed income. In the second quarter, that portfolio would have been down little more than 11%. And that's after being down five and a half in the first quarter. So to put that into some context, the 60-40 portfolio has now started the year down around 17% at the halfway point. And that's that's the worst start of a year in, in um, since the 30s. So it's, it's been a very rough start of the year. I think what happens over the next couple of weeks will, will depend on what, what happens with earnings here and the next inflation report and then the, the next Fed meeting. So it's, uh, there's been a lot to talk about over that first six months. Adam, you talked about the stocks that are doing well, the consumer, the defensive positions rather. And it seems kind of the opposite from what did well a couple of years ago during the start of the pandemic when the things like Peloton and Zoom were uh, flying off the shelves per se. Can you compare the two scenarios or timelines? Yeah, when, when the COVID lockdown started, uh, those companies that were beneficiaries like like the Zoom uh, did exceptionally well. And then companies that were, whether it was energy companies or, you know, they, they did poorly. At one point, um, you know, Zoom was had a larger market cap than ExxonMobil did, which, you know, probably doesn't make a lot of sense. 
but since that that peaked, you know, that Zoom is down over eighty percent, Exxon's up three hundred percent. So we, we've definitely seen a correction, uh, plus some, um, as the economy's reopened and, and inflation set in. Um, those early on performers like the Peloton, they've they've given it back. Fundamentals have mattered again, um, and kind of the the, the core uh, equity holdings of a portfolio have tended to do uh, much better. How do you, as an investor, think in relating this to a world where momentum matters? So that scenario with Zoom versus Exxon seems silly in hindsight, but when living through it. it it doesn't always feel that way because lagging the market for some period of time while uh, kind of telling ourselves that it isn't logical the way it is can be really difficult. How do you manage those expectations when momentum or when it seems like there's a disconnect between fundamentals and what's happening in the market? Um, you know, we, fundamentals matter and, and they always matter. So when we're, when we're looking at individual companies, um, you know, we're modeling out and thinking about what's this business going to look like in a couple of years. And then we're thinking about what, what would we pay for that um, company today? And then we look at what the market's pricing at and, and the market just tells us if there's an opportunity or not. And, you know, if, if the momentum carries the stock price way above what we think is kind of the, a fair value, intrinsic value, then, then we avoid it. And if it gets cheap, that, that's something that we would look to, to put in portfolios. But um, that, that's kind of how the opportunities are created is, is that volatility. You make it sound so simple, Adam. I appreciate it. Mike, we've come to you with the topic we've been talking about internally a lot, which is related to consumer sentiment. Um, you and I were talking earlier and it's at, uh, if not all time lows, approaching those types of ranges. Can you give us some guidance on what goes into consumer sentiment What might and what might be causing consumers to be so negative about uh, the near future? Sure, we do have, it's unusually low. So this is a point where consumers are more fragile than we've seen in the past. And you can explain it. You can say, well, you've got a war in Ukraine, you've got um, higher inflationary prices that are pushing uh, up the prices of the things that you buy. You've got all these, you've got, you just lived through a pandemic. There's a number of factors that sort of make consumers, when asked the question, how do you feel about the economy right now? They feel negative. And so we can explain that. It just makes what they're going to, you use that in terms of thinking forward and saying, are people gonna to continue to spend like they have in the past? Typically in the past, when you saw consumer sentiment this week, it led to a pullback in spending. The question is, will it this time, are these circumstances unusual that would create it, you know, to create that situation where while they feel negative, they continue to spend? I think the most likely scenario is that they pull back some, maybe not to the extent that you would see in a typical recession, but um, I think there'll be some pullback in terms of economic activity associated with the consumer spending less. I appreciate that. I'm going to come to you again, Mike, with a, an inflation-related question. And I've heard sometimes we'll say tongue-in-cheek people say that uh, the cure for high prices is high prices. And so maybe the that inflation as prices go up will subside. Is there any amount of it that you forecast as 
self-correcting, especially when you're talking about this consumer pulling back? Well, I think there are some bottlenecks that over time will get cured. So I, I think there are some things out there that you, with just, it's not cured by inflation, it's cured by time. And so I think with some time, you'll see some of that come down. But there are some components of uh, inflation that we're seeing right now that are sticky, that are gonna, they're gonna last longer than what was originally projected. And so we're gonna have to live with that. We're gonna, housing prices are gonna stay higher longer. And so that's gonna be a problem. Wages are going up. We continue to see that. That's gonna be uh, a pressure that's gonna continue to push prices up. Energy prices are higher. So there is, there is some part of inflation that's just gonna be higher than what we might have thought two years ago when rates were artificially low and the Fed was, was you know, acting in a way that uh, kept them artificially low. Now we're in a world where the Fed got behind the curve with inflation and now they're trying to catch up. So they're, they're doing the steps that you would anticipate that they would. And so that they just, it takes some time for this to work out. That's a really interesting point there. I think one of the things we've been talking about internally since the since the pandemic really was the uh, exits from the labor force for different groups. And now you could, we've seen strong jobs numbers. Um, and one of the contributing factors to some inflation is less people were working, so less goods or services could be provided. Uh, can you add in some color around why a strong jobs number, how it impacts the economy, and what that might do for inflation? Sure. When you when you see uh, people getting hired, they tend to take that money and spend it. So that lifts economic activity. So that's a positive. When there's 372,000 new jobs, that, that feels really good. One of the numbers that tends not to get looked at very much, but is important, is that level of labor force participation. So how many people in the overall pool are, are working? And that's been not as great a number. So uh, last month it was 62.3. This month that's down to 62.2. So there's still a fair amount of that whole potential pool that could uh, get, that could jump in and uh, work but are choosing not to, and that impacts the level of economic activity. They're not producing anything that creates, or they're not producing things that get counted in terms of GDP growth. Now, one of the other numbers that I, that I found really interesting this morning in the jobs data was the number of people that are forced for economic reasons to work part-time. They really want a full-time job, but they're working part-time because that's what they could find. That number's been sticky high. And it's now, we're seeing it, it decrease this month from 7.1 to 6.7. So those people are finding jobs and that, that's a positive thing when you, when you see that because that'll create more spending as, as they work full time and get a bigger paycheck. That's great. I really appreciate the explanation there. There's so much nuance to so many numbers that we we hear about that. I always appreciate your perspective, Mike. Adam, I'll come back to you with some detail about uh, 
equity markets and where values are being found. We talked a little bit about what's been doing well recently, really the most more defensive or value-oriented positions. Can you put some context around that for the last several months and stratify that a little bit with the size uh, positions and why with thinking about valuations, those might be outperforming or underperforming? Sure. Um, and we mentioned what has done best this year. It, it's clear. It's, it's companies that have higher dividend yields. Um, they trade at lower valuation multiples and their business is more defensive, which means their earnings are less cyclical, um, more predictable. Historically, they've had lower equity betas, which means the, the measure of their stock price relative to the market is, is less. That's what the market is favoring. Um, that's, that's what's doing better. You can kind of see it in, if, if you, you talk about the S&P 500 is down 20%, just use round numbers. Growth is down 30, value is down uh, 11 or, or 12. The value is, is kind of represents those, those factors that we just said are, are doing well. And you can see it there. You know, so value outperformed growth by, you know, seven or eight percentage points in the first quarter, another eight percentage points in the second quarter. You know, that's a trend that we, we expect will continue. Um, and, and that's something that we've positioned our portfolios around to take advantage of, of that view. And I, I think why the market prefers those companies is with all the uncertainty, I think that dividend yield feels good. If you think about what's the expected return of, of an investment and you see uh, a dividend yield of um, 3% in the U.S. and even higher in the, in the international markets, that's compelling. Um, you know, owning companies that trade at lower valuation multiples feels good too. You have a, a greater margin of safety there versus kind of a high flying, high multiple tech company. And then owning things that are, you know, as we have this uh, risk of a recession on the horizon, owning a portfolio of companies that have greater certainty around their earnings. Uh, and historically those earnings have declined less in recessionary environments, you know, also feels good. So values clearly outperformed this year. And, and that's something that we, we think will continue. Well, my, Adam, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm going to stay with you, our resident energy expert, to help us navigate what uh, are there any investment opportunities within the energy sector, but maybe more broad context of what do you see in the back half of the year for demand for energy resources, supply, and the direction of prices? Yeah, energy and natural resources have done very well in the beginning of the year. Um, you know, more recently, when the market became increasingly concerned about a recession, the yield curve inverted, you saw um, that part of the market do poorly. So energy had a 20% pullback. We, we view that as an opportunity in, in portfolios um, to, to add. It's it's just there's concern that if we get into a recessionary environment, demand for those commodities will go down, and and that's quickly being reflected in in, in the stock prices. I think what maybe is not appreciated is the valuation of these companies is still very attractive. They're they're under owned, they generate phenomenal cash flows, um, so they're they're still very attractive. If you look at where they trade relative to the rest of the market, relative to where they've traded in the past. I think the valuation is very compelling. 
Um, even with the pullback in commodities, the, the overall level uh, is still high and attractive. It's still high enough that these companies generate um, lots of cash flow. Returns on a capital, returns on invested capital are well above their cost. Um, they, they still have money left over to pay dividends, buy back stock, reinvest in the business, and do a lot of positive things that generate value for shareholders. So we think that recent pullback is is, is an opportunity to um, add some weight. I like that perspective. Well, we start to wrap it up, guys. This is really helpful information. I, I love the the line, Adam, that fundamentals matter. Mike, I like the messaging about uh, jobs looking better um, and companies still being relatively healthy and looking to find ways to grow. Um, to our audience, we appreciate you joining us. We are all here to help. If there's anything you ever need, you can contact any of us. Uh, and Anthony, Adam, Mike, or any of the advisors at within the wealth management group at the bank, we'd love to talk to you, uh, clients or prospective clients. We always hope that you reach out and we have a, a chance to talk. Uh, with that, Adam, I'll turn it to you for some parting thoughts. I think as we look at the what's in store for the, the, the back half of, of this year, the rest of this year, you know, I think on the fixed income side, the move higher in interest rates, the widening of credit spreads um, is, is now left us at a level where yields are uh, much higher than they were in the past and, and are, are attractive. On the equity side, uh, valuations are now below long-term averages. Um, I think with a long-term investment horizon, that's that's a compelling opportunity as well. So I, I think there's there's some um, you know, looking at the next six months, there's there's some positive uh, positives on the horizon. Perfect, Mike. Party thoughts from you. I was quite caught this morning by the idea. Bloomberg's been um, asking various economists what their GDP forecasts are for 2023, and the median projections up 1.8 percent for next year, and out of 75 forecasts only four of the forecasters were projecting a negative number for next year. Um, so to me, a lot of negative news has been priced into the market. Even if we enter a recession, which is maybe a 50-50 uh, probability, it will likely be mild. And we don't have the inventory overhangs and the other issues that typically create a more negative um, environment. So I think in general, um, a lot of news has been priced in, and so I feel I feel you know better about that. There's still we've still got some um, you know it's going to be a volatile period over these coming months, but the underlying fundamentals are are shaping up okay. Well, that's great, guys. I appreciate learning from you today. Thank you to our audience for taking some time to join us, and we'll talk to you again soon. 